Hi everyone and a warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, transformational change and of course, tech as a force for good. I'm your host, Professor Sally Eves and today we're discussing all things cybersecurity with special attention to the energy sector, one that's been especially impacted by what WEF recently described as a poly-crisis of threats, alongside evolving trends too, such as IT-OT convergence and this is all creating opportunities but new risks too. So supported by insights from the latest Microsoft Digital Defense Report, I'm delighted to be joined now by Jose Razo, Senior Tech Specialist at Microsoft. And together with the technology, find out too how just one phone call made a career-making difference to Jose. It's a story to inspire us all. Thank you, and let's dive straight into our conversation. So Jose, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, fantastic. So maybe a great place to start is just really find out a little bit more about yourself and your role and kind of what that's about. And maybe, you know, a magic moment along the way that's made a real difference in your career as well. I love the fact you've had so many different roles, too. I think it's a real diversity of experience there. No, yes, yes. It's been a, it's been a challenge. Uh, I mean, my career has been all over the place. I've started uh, I started one way and kind of shifted and pivoted multiple times. And, and I ended up here not by uh, choice, to be honest. It just kind of where things fell. Uh, so a little bit about myself. Uh, currently, I'm a senior technical specialist for Microsoft. I work with their Defender for IoT product. So that is our uh, OT passive uh, IDS system that we work with. So I kind of focus more on the pre-technical side of it. So I help clients understand the technical components of it. I assist with questions prior to the sale to ensure that they understand the product from top to bottom before they invest their uh, security budgets uh, with the company. Uh, they called me a global black belt for the product that just kind of it's a fancy way of saying you're supposed to be the guy that they come to. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice title, but it's not on my it's not on my business card, to be honest. So uh, it's kind of an internal thing. Um, but before this, I worked for a security uh, consulting company, a very large one, and I worked in a variety of different spaces. But the theme across the board has been the same. I've worked with IDS systems, so I've done everything. Uh, from visiting sites to installing sensors the, for the IDS system, all the way up to managing teams that handled every aspect of operationalizing the product uh, in, in the different verticals. So I've done oil and gas, um, I've done the pharmaceutical, and also recently, the last project before coming to Microsoft was the energy distribution generation company. So it was a very large IDS deployment system. And we did about 400 sites. Uh, prior to our left, the goal was about 700. So it was a very large deployment. Um, got to see different aspects of it, especially from the uh, utility side. And it's great. It's great to understand. Uh, it's really difficult to to kind of sell these types of products and services uh, in different verticals because everyone has different requirements and challenges. Uh, and then even before this, I worked for a uh, the way I kind of ended up in security. I worked for a software company uh, before. So I was working for a, a medical software company. I was doing a kind of support platform support for them. And uh, one day I was at the at lunch and. I kept getting a phone call from a, a recruiter that, that kept calling, and it was probably the third time she had called me. And I, I really wasn't interested in shifting careers. I, you know, I just got into the medical space. I was considering going back to school at the time. And so after about three attempts and a couple of voicemails, one day she called back and I picked up the phone. And the conversation was very short and sweet. I said, Jose, um, I like I seen you on LinkedIn. I like your resume. Uh Hey, tell me what you make now. I'll tell you what I have, and we'll see if we can make it work. So, long story short, uh, 
I ended up at another company as a software company and doing the same thing I was doing on the medical side, but it was more of uh, cybersecurity. They were kind of, they're on the infancy stages of building a platform for cybersecurity. And so what that allowed me to do is kind of get an introduction into ICS systems, understand the oil and gas market, uh, just from one perspective. And so I decided at the time I was going to go back to school and I decided to get my master's degree. And so I ended up focusing my subconcentration in security just because of, you know, that's kind of the role I was uh, I was focused. If I would have stayed at the medical company, uh, I may have just gone into the health informatics system. Uh, so I pivoted unexpectedly just because of this one phone call. And, you know, a few years later, here I am. I love that. Do you know what? Because I, I do a lot of mentoring, um, particularly with mm-hmm. my non-for-profit. And one of the things I always share is that there is no linear path, you know, into typical sure, sure. careers. And don't be afraid to you know, go for an opportunity because you've come from a different path. Actually, mm-hmm. that diversity of experience can be hugely valuable. And um, people want more and more of that. You know, I think that diversity sure. matters. And again, you know, experience in one sector, apply that to another, can be a great catalyst for you know creative innovation, et cetera. So I think that's a really excellent, excellent point. I think now more than ever, that capacity to pivot you know and be ambidextrous to change and things has probably never mattered more so it's a great learning point that and one phone call making a difference fantastic I, love yes. it. <laughs> I also think you maybe need a secondary um kind of business card as well the whole black belt um experience you were describing there that'd be fantastic for a hackathon a security hackathon that'd be brilliant <laughs> brilliant role title i think <laughs> Brilliant. And you mentioned there, you know, in terms of the different verticals you've worked in around mm-hmm. utilities and around energy, for example, too. And I'd love to drill into this sector a little bit more because sure. so much has been happening, hasn't it? So many different vectors oh, yeah. of change affecting this industry in particular. So what have you seen as kind of the key drivers of that change, but also the trans- transformations resulting from it? Um, well, a lot of the key drivers, at least from my experience and, and what I see, I talk to clients every day, and that ranges from CISOs at the top to you know operators at the bottom, the ones that actually do the day-to-day work. Um, and, and you do get different perspectives, but the challenges they face are the same. And a lot of times, I think what it is, is we, over the last few years, you've heard the attacks become more prevalent. You've seen uh, different types of malwares, and they start to focus more on the utility side. Um, a lot of this, of course, is targeted by nation states. That's more of who they're crediting for these types of attacks. And so that is one of the biggest shifts. It's, it's more publicized. I'm sure this has been going on for years, but you just didn't hear about the nature of it and it, in the the way it has affected us. And then we had you know, the Colonial Pipeline, which wasn't directly an attack on the on the pipeline itself. And it was shut down because of lack of information. And, and so but it did affect us in a way it, it started from the attack and then because of different reasons within internally, uh, they were, they had to, you know, mitigate that. And that was the best way of doing it was to shut down the system before it even got worse. And so one of the things you see there is, it's just that understanding of what's going on and being able to see that nowadays information travels quickly. And we all want to make sure that uh, we are not just kind of sitting around doing nothing. So that's one of the biggest things. And the other thing you'll see now is regulations. So We've had NERC for a long time, and there's multiple types of standards that are coming on, uh, different expectations. I, I see a lot of uh, information coming from the Department of Energy. Uh, I recently did a conference for them, and and you hear different perspectives, and everyone's trying to take this older grid system that is spread out across multiple states or different regions, and they're trying to take this older system and, and make it modern and make it be as secure as some of the new stuff. And because they are struggling, they're everyone's kind of reaching for different uh, opportunities. Um, 
I, as I stated earlier, I work on the IDS side of the house, and that is one of the, the recommendations for uh, utility companies is to have some type of passive system for these older uh, networks. And, and so that just kind of sparks the interest. And so they reach out to, you know, not, not just myself, but they reach out to competitive solutions and they're, they're all just trying to understand what is in it for us and how can, how can we do better? Absolutely. I was involved in some research recently, too, and it was kind of looking at the links between energy power and digital transformation. And there's a lot of, as you were saying, there, there's a lot of intent to, to make quite a lot of changes. But it's that facilitation to make the actualization happen, I think, is where there's a lot of sticking points. So your facilitation around that, I think, is vital. And you mentioned there about information and the power of sharing that. Absolutely vital, too. And I'd love to drill into that a little bit more because I think you really brought to life there some of the different vectors of change affecting cybersecurity. And it, it's kind of those three S's, isn't it? We've got the scale, yeah. we've got the scope, and we've got sophistication around these types of threats too. We've even got collaboration saying that as well. We have different bad actors coming together to try and make change happen around these risks. So again, we've got to do the things as well, haven't we, as the good guys <laughs> kind of coming together to negate those threats right. too. And as part of that, research makes a huge difference. You know, making these threats sure. visible, having that active intelligence. And at Microsoft, you've done an amazing job, I think, in terms of bringing this to the fore with regularity and transparency. So I'd love to touch on the new defense report. It's the latest um, version sure. that's come out here. Can you go through, say, some of the top takes? I know there's a you know action packed in terms of, of drilling <laughs> into this, but maybe if we're going to pick a few that are most resonant and particularly to the sector area too, that'd be fantastic. Sure. So you know it, it's a long report, uh, and and I recommend anyone who is listening to this podcast goes out and reads it. I, I believe it's like 144 pages or somewhere in that range. It's, it's well over 100 pages, a lot of good information. And you don't have to read the whole thing to really kind of get the gist of what's going on. Um, but some of the things that you notice is some of the systems that we're, the way the way attackers are trying to get these systems, it's not necessarily always the grid, um, you know, doing doing, you know, social engineering and reaching out to people to try to get uh, different types of, uh, you know, get their user passwords through phishing attacks, email attacks. These are the ways that, for me, is surprising. Um, we, I, you know, we tend to focus on the, the technical aspect. We tend to focus on, you know, how do we protect the grid? How do we listen to our network? Uh, even though we have firewalls, we have different types of uh, uh, electronic access protections in place for these uh, different best systems. Uh, but we're still being kind of penetrated from the weakest link. And our weakest link is always going to be uh, the individuals, um, not intentionally, of course, but it happens. Uh, we have hundreds of people that may work at these utility companies. And, and for me, that's one of the biggest keys. Kind of reading through the report, I, that stood out to me was, you know, how how do we protect ourselves when it's really difficult to kind of spread that message? I, I don't know about, about you, but for, for us here at work, um, we're always being tested. You get these really nice looking emails. Yes. They're very enticing. You, you, if you're not paying attention, you want to click on it. And, and if I, who have multiple years and, and kind of have been told and told over and over, over the last few years, how to look, how to spot different things. If even me, sometimes I, Oh, I catch myself wanting to click on these links. It's really easy for someone who who is not in the day to day uh, security mindset to, to click on these, and, and that's always going to be our, our weakest point. Um, that's kind of one of the things that that really stood out for me. Um, the industrial control systems, uh, the, the types of attacks, I think I think the number was like one percent. So these ICS systems are not being targeted directly as you would expect. And these, so we're, we're coming in different methods. I think remote management is one of the things um, a long time ago we had, you know, everyone wants to say with their air gap, everybody believes that their networks 
are kind of off the grid there. Uh, but with business efficiencies, wanting to take that data and be more efficient, make, you know, improve that bottom line, uh, these remote systems and management, especially now with COVID-19 coming on with post-pandemic, but a lot of remote work is coming into play. And so these management systems of, you know, allowing access in not, not only allows employees in, but it also allows uh, anyone else to, to actually come into the network. So that's that's one of the biggest things um, we do. We did. I did one, one of the top. Uh, Malware detected right now is the the Myra, and that one is by far the largest the scale. And so, kind of seeing these types of attacks and seeing that you know they're primarily focused on two different uh, pieces of malware that really kind of just take up the whole bulk of the types of attacks that being out there. So you know, one to me that gives me a little hope. Instead of saying like there isn't five different pieces of malware going out there, we have two that pretty much take up ninety plus percent of the attacks. So, you know, if we have that type of data, for me, it's easier to say, hey, let's understand what these two pieces of malware do. Let's figure out how we can mitigate that. And we can really focus our attention on a smaller piece instead of trying to prevent a variety of malware that's going to consistently be changing over time. I couldn't agree more with that. So some related research I was involved in as well was looking at kind of pressure points in, in operations, particularly security operations at the moment, and looking at challenges, for example, around burnout and kind of what are the root causes of that. And one of them was around issues of sprawl. So whether that's tool sprawl or alert fatigue etc etc so what you're saying there about being able to literally target in on those two overriding causes um is absolutely vital alongside other areas as well but again it's part of this trend we need to reduce the complexity and really be able to drill in and get granular so really good example of that i think there fantastic um and i want to mention another area too just looking at different um spaces within security that are being affected so one would be around iot and again, there was a really interesting finding about the level of leaders in the security space. I think it was around the 60% mark, looking at things around IoT and OT devices and saying effectively they felt that was the most secure, most insecure aspect yeah. of their environment right now. So again, it kind of brings to the fore unification, bringing in together IT and ICS and OT security. And I'd love to drill into the how of how to support that. You're talking just now about facilitation you know, from a culture mm-hmm. skills point of view and, of course, technology. wonder if we could drill into that a little bit more about how you support customers there. So, you know, things like Digital Defender for IoT, for example. Sure, sure. Yeah, as far as the IoT side, that is a very big sector that we just completely have missed. Um, now, on the OT side of the house, we're using our product. We do focus on uh, the OT products, so your ICS systems, your PLCs, and so forth. But one of the things we do is we do generalize IoT. So this, and, and for those that listen in, uh, that's HVAC systems, that is elevators, cameras, uh, all of those are considered IoT devices. A lot of them are tied into your network. We don't really see them, and I think this is the problem, we don't really see them as networking types of devices, but they they all are connected, they're all tied into the network, and they all have some type of access. Uh, I've seen in the past where being able to remote into a uh, the GUI for a, a video uh, camera system that's connected to the network can allow someone to actually breach the network via that space. And a lot of times we don't go in there and secure those cameras. You think it's a camera, what is it gonna do? But those user interfaces work just like any other network software is gonna allow you in. Uh, so what we try to do is train and educate as far as where these types of devices are. Uh, if you look on the enterprise side of the house, so more on the corporate side, uh, we have BYOD, bringing on devices. People have, they're bringing in their own phones 
Everybody has smartphones. Everybody brings in, you know, my, uh, small computers and, and not knowing what's there is the biggest challenge. And so I, one of the things we're doing, we have a specialized software, it's called Enterprise for IoT. It's very similar to Defender for IoT, but it's strictly focused on IoT protocols. So they carry their own types of protocols and this will cover the gamut of uh, devices. So this is smart devices, uh, TVs, uh, you know, access points. You have even smart coffee makers. I, 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 you know, you may not see that your cup of joe every day is a threat, but um, some of these systems are connected to to their, you know, back to the vendor. You're running out of coffee, or you're having troubleshooting uh, issues with the coffee maker, and it sends a signal. It sends, and it has to go out the network, and it rides over, and, and someone comes and fixes it. And that's a, a convenience for us. It, it makes our life easier, right? I, I need to work. I can't secure the network if I don't have my my coffee in the morning. But that machine is going to make me a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, and that's the kind of things that you don't see, and you know, and that spreads across. I think people are getting. We're, we're trading convenience for an increased security risk. Every one of these solutions is making our lives uh, more convenient. Even in the home, you have smart uh, thermostats, you have all, everything is connected, TVs, gaming systems, uh, every everything that can connect to your network is going to become a potential threat. And as we see IoT devices in, in the billions over the next few years, consistently growing, that is kind of the next big challenge for companies, not just uh, on the OT side. Really, really interesting. I love that example. I think it really brings it to life in the coffee machine one. It's, it's, it's a perfect example of that. And we've heard things before, haven't we? You know, for example, the printer or the fridge, whatever it might be, it's yes. always that weakest link. And again, sometimes, again, coming through on the research, for example, use of factory settings on passwords in devices too. There's lots of examples of that. So again, it's a really interesting combination here, isn't it? We've got very sophisticated technology that you've described there that really supports, but also it has to be coupled with that basic cyber hygiene and getting all those sure. foundations right at the same time. It really is a very holistic proposition, isn't it? Oh, yes. Absolutely. And again, on that subject of kind of bringing, bringing examples mm -hmm. to life, I wonder if you could share, say, an example of, of, of impact, particularly in, in the energy space as well, utilities, around kind of how you've worked with an organisation to support kind of getting through some of these challenges. You know, I read a case study, for example, around American utility. I thought that was a really good example, but something like that that just you know relates this to the audience about how you can work together and kind of facilitate that change. Sure. So a lot of what we do to try to help our utility companies, they we all have to try to make them understand. And they we have to not only overcome uh, just your basic challenges of setting up a security platform into your system, we also have to fit these regulations, understand what we're up against. And so a lot of times what we do to try to help our customers is focus on uh, where the best practices are going to be. So we try to, to try to help design and, and, and facilitate a plan, uh, not just from the piece of we're trying to sell you a product, but we also want you to start considering how are you going to deploy this in your in your environment? How is it going to be most effective? And so a lot of times what we do, and a lot, you know, a lot of our customers, we really can't you know, give out names, but a lot of, I'm, I'm working with a, a company right now, they do transmission across multiple states. And so a lot of times they have these substations that they have to take into consideration. They're kind of remote systems, uh, no, they're unmanned. And so what we want to do is we want to have widespread information. And the challenge there is understanding you know, what the limitations of your network are going to be. How, how are we going to overcome that? And every location is slightly different. You may have bandwidth issues. You may not even, you may just not have 
the infrastructure to support some of these bolt-on security tools. And and so one of the things we try to do, and at least myself, is educate them on some of these best practices. As you said, you know, basic hygiene uh, may apply to changing your password, your default password, but also basic hygiene of understanding, you know, how do we meet regulations? What do we need to take into consideration? And how are we going to support this long term? Uh, one of the challenges I see, and not just in this space, but across different verticals, is you you may have the budget to start the, the security process, purchase that new uh, tool, as, as you would say, but the consideration of how to take care, how to you know, operationalize it, how to platform support, and then the the amount of time and manpower it's going to take to to actually focus on the data coming in and how we're going to use that data, what we do with the data is where we want to try to educate uh, the space. Uh, so we we provide, I, I do myself, I try to provide research, not just from, from within our company, Microsoft, but also from, uh, we work with Idaho National Labs, uh, we work with, uh, we partner with them, we work with, with the Department of Energy, uh, and we take all their best practices and try to consolidate that. So, if, you know, there's so many resources out there and I think it becomes overwhelming. So if we can consolidate that through our partners, through our partnerships and understandings, we kind of just pass that along to the customer. It, it helps both of us, even at times when it doesn't pan out to a, you know, a sell for us, it's still, you know, they're still going to leave with us educated. They're going to understand what they're looking for. And I think that as long as you can provide that type of transparency, you know, it, it, it is best for everyone. Absolutely. I think it echoes another trend we're, we're seeing across multiple sectors at the moment, and that is kind of the power of the ecosystem and these mm-hmm. co-creative partnerships. You know, I've seen a lot of organizations who probably were traditionally competitors, but they're coming together around sure. common challenges, whether that's around cybersecurity or it could be around, for example, sustainability. But it definitely is a trend. I think it's been one of the positive things, actually, to come out sure. of the pandemic of the power of us, you know, the collective of coming together and that sharing and best practice advice around this particular area area it's right up there and it's a great example of that i think no no that that is definitely true we ourselves not only push uh, i know there was a i have customers that come in and assume that if you purchase a microsoft product you have to purchase the whole suite you have to it ain't gonna it's not gonna function with anyone else but but as you stated companies are not they're not looking at you know how do i make a to z what they're really doing is how do we take our product and incorporate that into a variety of different options? Uh, our customers don't have, uh, they're not all Microsoft uh, only shops there. They, they do have other security tools and we ourselves, we work, you know, now there's a, there's definitely been a culture change in the last few years at the company where we're working with that. We have, we have some partnerships with um, like ServiceNow. ServiceNow is very popular. It's used all over. Many of our customers use that and we, ensure that our at least our Defender for IoT product functions very well. And we have a great partnership. Their API connection with us is, is I would say, as good as a built-in Microsoft first-party setup because we have partnered with them. We we provide all the information, and the integration is really tight. Uh, you're not going to, you know, the best one is always going to be in-house because you know what, you know, you know both sides of the software. Uh, but, you know, when you do increase and collaborate with other partners and security tools, uh, you are going to get this type of cohesion where you're not limiting that information. And I think customers are always looking for that. Every time I have a conversation, one of the biggest things is uh, how are you going to integrate into what I already have? No one can afford to go in there, rip everything out, 
and start all over. That is that's impossible, and that wouldn't be feasible for any company to come in there. And we, you know, I myself don't expect anyone to do that. What we want to do is always stress: this is what we provide, and this is what you can do with that information. This is where you integrate what what you can do. Uh, and I think customers appreciate that type of transparency. Uh, you know, we always show them, you know, what we can provide as a whole unified holistic approach. But at the same time, they can also create that in-house uh, at, at, you know, at what's best for them. That's excellent. It's, that's that word facilitation, isn't it? It really is. It's enabling that informed choice. Uh, like, again, you were hitting, I think, some of the some of the key challenges that so many organisations of any size really have been facing in terms of kind of reducing complexity, increasing visibility. And that key word there, you were mentioning integration and interoperability is absolutely right up there. So I think those, those focus areas are so, so strong. But I love also that focus on education and support. Because it can feel, as you mentioned earlier on, there's so much information at times. It can feel, how on earth can I keep up for that? Particularly, for example, on a fast advancing SMB or something like that. How do you manage all of that? So supporting getting to that right information at the right time, whether it's from a technology perspective and, and the filtering that active intelligence or from the research perspective as well, and really shining a light on, on what's happening now and what might come next. And that actually reminds me to kind of let's look ahead a little bit. Obviously, we're at the time of the year, aren't we, like into looking at what might be happening next for, for 2023. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, if you were going to kind of look ahead at what might be an up and coming threat in the cybersecurity space? or something that might come back. So an example of that, why it's on my mind, is something like Emotep. So that was a threat that had almost died away in many respects. And it kind of was reimagined and brought back, mostly catalyzed by, again, bad actors coming together. So that was an interesting example of that. I've also seen some things in 1970s technology um, that wasn't being used very much, but it was a protocol um, in telco. And that was used as a way, for example, to get into crypto wallets. So we've seen some really unusual examples. And that's sure. why that's on my mind. Is there anything in that area? you think would be interesting to share? You know, I wish I could tell you. I would probably, uh, <laughs> I'd probably be a very rich man if I can predict you that. You really would be blackmailed <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd probably earn my paycheck that way. But <laughs> I, I think one of the challenges that I see, at least um, in, in conversation, one of the biggest things I hear, and I'm not sure if you'll consider this a threat. I, I consider it a threat because it's going to lead us down a path of uncertainty. Uh, we have many companies, or excuse me, many customers, consumers actually creating their own grids. They are doing the solar panels. And so what this is doing is introducing, and, and so it was explained to me one day by someone who's who's been in the, in, in the space for over 40 years. And he sat down and he was like, I, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, why is this a big deal? What, what's going on here? And he says, well, look, uh, right now, you know, everything is regulated and he follows certain, everything's done a certain way. He's like, but when you put those solar panels and you have your battery packs and you're sending data, uh, you know, your extra reserved energy into the grid, you're generally, you're becoming a micro uh, company, you're being a micro electricity company, you're providing generating power and sending it into the grid that makes you no different from some of these large companies, you're just doing it on a micro scale. So then he starts asking me, well, Jose, think about it this way. Who protects that equipment? If you're tying into the grid, how how are you going to stop people from coming into your home or using your home to go into the grid? And so that's kind of the thought process. And he's, and so one of the biggest challenges is understanding who is going to be responsible for this. Is it, is it me as the consumer that's generating the, the power, the extra power and sending it into the grid, or is it going to be the, 
providers or the companies that are actually going to benefit from from this excessive power that many consumers are going to start purchasing. Uh, in my neighborhood now, uh, there's been a big jump in, in, in solar panels. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware. So I live I live in Houston, Texas. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. Uh, but we I, so we were part of that whole grid issue. Uh, I think it was a, a year or two ago. And so we uh, we were out power for for two weeks. And this was some of the coldest weather we have. And, and we're not, you know, most people laugh. We don't have, we're, we're just not accustomed to that type of weather. We don't have the types of infrastructure. Our homes aren't set up in a way to handle that type of weather. And so it was a very big inconvenience for a lot of people. And we did have, you know, unfortunately, there was some some deaths in, in, these, in the state because of it. So there was loss of life. Of course, there's a lot of finger pointing. There was a big economic challenges because, Electricity bills have gone up. So I think that has completely shifted people's uh, mindset. And so now they want to go solar panel where they can have more predictable power, uh, more predictable costs. And so that shift to uh, becoming, a, you know, a, the smart grid and having these new types of meters coming in and, and people consuming, not just consuming energy, but also generating and distributing that energy back into the grid is going to be where we're going to see the biggest threats. Uh, we are uh, right now. So there, recently, Microsoft partnered with the with some of our national labs and and in we'll, the Department of Energy to to try to fund some grants. And we're taking these grants and trying to kind of pre kind of what you're asking me is predict what we're going to expect in the future, uh, but not not from a malware or targeted perspective, but more of a what is our next security solution? What have we not thought of? What can we do? And so you, you'll see. And these are ideas that are. You know, they're not in, they're not actual functioning ideas, but they're, you know, different types of routing networks, different protocol usages, uh, just different ways of doing different systems. And so the funding from the DOE is going to allow a, a company such as Microsoft or anyone who gets these grants to partner with you know, different partners and variety of labs and, and try to use some of their infrastructure to not only you know, figure out if these plans are going to work, but also test them in a very realistic uh, setup. So I know one of the labs, I, I can't remember which lab it is, but they have a full setup where it's kind of a micro, uh, you know, test environment that actually uses real real world equipment. And so you can go in there and really push the solution uh, as, as close to possible as real world standards, but not really put it into production. And this is great because to have that type of level of access and that type of money is not something that many companies are able to actually do. And so all of this is going to help us kind of or see hopefully those attacks and that malware and the next threat. But I think the next threat is going to be ourselves. It's going to be increased openness, increased access. How do we secure that? And and who do who's going to at the end of the day who's going to be responsible for everything? I think that's all. Oh, you, you really got you got me thinking here a lot. So <laughs> a, that, that responsibility yeah. question is always an interesting sure. one. And, sure. and again, because things like, for example, law always has a catch up point anyway. So there's also sure. that aspect mm -hmm. if something goes wrong. So that's a very interesting area in itself. But what you were saying there around energy and kind of that move from, say, consumer to prosumer. I think we're seeing it even more from a, say, European perspective. What you were saying, you know, about energy prices, you mentioned about electricity there. That's been such a challenge and there's been such you know, kind of supply chain fragility in many ways has been shown and where certain dependencies are, et cetera. So the the kind of quest to have solar panels fitted, I, a friend of mine works in that sector specifically, the waiting list is months. It really yes. is that demand to do things differently. And people are looking at things, you know, from a cost perspective, what can we do more? 
again, agri-tech people, allotments, all sorts of different things. People are looking at things differently about how can I do this myself? What can I resell sure. this for in so many different areas? And what that is another version of what you were talking about earlier. We said about printers and freezers, didn't we, earlier yeah. on, um, and other types of devices too. The solar panel and equivalency is good, could very, very easily be another version of that. I think you're absolutely spot on. Yes. And skin, no, no. I'll make a prediction too. So I'm going to okay. go like for body. We're talking about different <laughs> bodies here. What about sure. our human body? You know, I'm, I'm involved in some research around the advance of 6G at the moment, but also okay. how can we use different types of services um, to be effectively kind of conductors and conduits around this too? Things that are already in existence. So we're looking at surfaces or material objects, but as part of that, we're also looking at what can we do around energy conversion from our human bodies themselves. So that's a bit of more of a far out projection, but it just shows there's so much happening and it's difficult sure. to know what to expect. And almost I think what we've seen over the last few years is to be prepared for something you weren't expecting necessarily at all. It's it's all the things about how can you get the right foundations in place. So if X, Y, Z actually we've done the best we can possibly do to get ahead of that or you know negate the threat if it comes as much as possible it's these are foundations these pillars are what really are making all the difference whatever comes down the line no no that, that's absolutely right we don't know what's coming down yeah. the line but uh, but you know i've i've seen some i've read i read one of the reports from the doe and and you see where we're trying to you know some of the recommendations is, is we're going to start from the bottom up and work our way to educate so you know not only do we try to predict what's going to happen, but we educate, you know, people from the very beginning to have this security mindset. We build all our products moving forward with a security, with security in mind versus how we did it 10, 20 years ago. Security was not, uh, you know, at the top of the engineering cycle there. We didn't build that in. And so now if we build security in from the beginning and try to make these, uh, any, any tool, any, any device secure from the, from the get-go, it should help us down the road instead of trying to continuously bolt on uh, different security tools after the fact, and and I think I think that's that's true. I think we need to just kind of build that foundation, and even though we don't know what to expect, we can kind of at least be prepared for for that unexpected. Love that, absolutely agree, and kind of that embedding it right to device level, I think, is really key. And you, you've reminded me, I believe it's PSA certified, but it's it's kind of a body that brings together different organisations. Yeah. They do a lot of work and certification at that from, from a device level as well. So again, for the audience, it could be a good place to check because again, lots of resources around that there as well. There, sure, yes, yes. All. brilliant stuff. And maybe one other challenge, stroke and opportunity, um, sure. talent gaps in cybersecurity. There, there, there's, a, there's a lot, you know, security, testing, architecture, probably being the top, top three. But also I think the pandemic, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of non-for-profit non work, um, kind of encouraging more people into the space. And we've seen there's been a higher churn rate from, from people from a less represented population in the tech sector, sure. so predominantly women, but also, for example, areas like neurodiversity have been adversely mm -hmm. affected over, over that period period of time i wonder if we could speak a little bit about kind of how to change that narrative and encourage more people into the space from that diverse background but also the support that's available and one of the things i always encourage people is you know if you're interested in this you know, be curious it doesn't you don't have to come from a linear tech background to get involved there's sure. loads of routes of entry but also there's lots of freely available education to support you too i wonder if we could shine a light on that because again microsoft has been right up there in supporting this i'd love to kind of bring that to the fore as well Sure, sure. Now, yes, there's there's many resources, and you're right. There is there is a gap in different areas. Uh, we we see it, and and you know, I see it myself. I've I've 
kind of went through the challenges of trying to overcome certain things. And, and, I, and as I stated earlier, I come from a, a, a different background. Security was not my focus. Uh, I eventually got a little bit of more education focused around security, uh, but I didn't start that way. And so one of the things, I, to be honest, I don't know how we can overcome this. I know there's many things we can do as far as uh, I've seen, I've worked with educational systems, uh, different colleges. Uh, not only do they come to us for to purchase the equipment, but they also ask us to speak. Uh, I, I personally have tried as much as I can to encourage people to, to join, especially uh, when you are targeting people that aren't usually well represented in the space, uh, women, minorities, and, and so forth. And so I, I think from that perspective, seeing more uh, people that fit that that type is, allows and encourages people to come. I, I personally, I'll, I'll give you a quick little story that kind of happened. So I, I was I was fortunate enough last year to do a keynote presentation. So Microsoft was the uh, main sponsor. Uh, so they gave us the prime uh, keynote speaking. So we were the first ones out there. And then fortunately, I was I was lucky enough to, to be given that responsibility to kind of give the opening keynote, uh, you know, right after pandemic, haven't really been out much. And so it was it was trying to get that rust and dust off myself and, and, and kind of speak out. And, uh, you know, I think it went very well. Uh, it was well received. But one of the things that kind of stood out to me is there were some younger individuals in the in the audience that came out that they, they were sponsored and they were came out to, to visit the conferences. And they were sponsored by different oil and gas companies here in Houston. Uh, it was hosted in Houston. So a lot of oil and gas presence. And so what happened is, you could see people come and ask me, hey, Jose, how do you get into the space or, you know, what things are available? And you do get and that was not something I expected. You know, last year, I did not expect to sit there and give a keynote and not, you know, instead of trying to sell a product, which I was that's my job to be there was to kind of push the technology and, and educate people on the technology. I was asked more kind of in that same space is how do I get to where you're at? And I don't see myself as being anywhere. I, I, I've kind of just done the work. I've, this is kind of where I landed, but I've never stopped and, and said, well, what did it take for me to get here? And, and so being asked that question is, Hey, how do I, how do I get into this space? How do I, you know, what can I do? Um, and, you know, I, I try to give them the best advice I can. I try to encourage them and kind of, I give a little bit of background of what I've done. And, and as you said, you don't have to come from a specific background. But, you know, as far as training, Microsoft provides a lot of free training. We have uh, what we call a ninja training. And so this has a variety of tools and video that you can focus on our Defender for IoT product. We use it for a, for a customer facing uh, page, but it's publicly available. All our documentation for our, our solutions are publicly available. Uh, we do have that information posted, anyone anyone can access this. So as far as you're saying, you, there is no cost to get the education. Uh, you know, I see, I, I have kids myself and a lot of what my son learns is off like YouTube. I, I, I don't recommend everyone sit and watch YouTube, but there is a lot of good uh, resources. If you can find the right channels and the, and the right individuals, I there's a lot of good information. There's a lot of information that probably isn't the greatest, but I think if you can do a little bit of research and find out that, being, you know, having access to different types of sources is not impossible. One of the benefits, as much as I dislike when my children are on the phones all the time, it's my fault though. I, I do encourage them to to try to gain that knowledge. And if if my son can go out there and learn things on his own, uh, you know, that that won't stop anyone. And, and my recommendation for anyone is is go out there, do some research. There is 
hundreds of places you can get different types of education. Uh, Microsoft provides reports on trends. Uh, many companies out there provide uh, information of what's going on in the space. And, and to be honest, that's kind of where everyone gets their information anyway. So if you think I can't learn this, it, it's impossible because all the experts, all the security professionals, they're reading the same information. So if you keep up with it, you will have the same type of knowledge and the trends into what's going on in the space. And one of the biggest things that I struggle with is keeping up with the different verticals and that what's going on. I cover, I, I focus on energy. So out of coming out of where I, I'm focused is oil and gas utility space, but I do cover uh, medical uh, space as well. Houston is a big medical center. So we do we do cover that space. I get into education. So I have to be very flexible in understanding the different verticals. So my job is to not know everything, but at least understand what's going on in that space. And I do it on a free basis as well. I do a little research, a little bit of this and that. And you know, I, I, I do a little bit of reading. You'd be surprised 30 minutes a day could do to, to just understand what's going on in the space. And one of the biggest things that I benefit from is when you talk to someone, doesn't matter if it's CISO operator or someone in, in, you know, in, in between there, uh, if you understand these, tre these trends and you understand what they're faced with, you can have a better dialogue with them. I love that. Honestly, some such great points there. I think the overriding one is the barriers to access to learning around this have really, really come down in the same way as the Microsoft Defense Report in many respects shows the barriers to entry to actually launch a cyber attack have gone down. So has sure. the other way around in terms of getting this education, getting this insight into active trends, but also getting that support and mentorship around these areas as well. So I love what you were saying. Um, in terms of YouTube, I'm going to be cheeky and go to the Twitter. Today channel, I can't resist it. I'm going to have to say that. But, sure. <laughs> but in all honesty, within that, there's a series called 365, a totally non-for-profit series. And the sure. intention of that is all about visibility of role models in tech and beyond. You know, interviews say from like eight years old to about 88 or something like that. Um, and it's all about shining a light. So there's someone there who kind of might look like you or express themselves yeah. like you, learn like you, come from your sector, be your age, whatever it might be. It's that relatability and at different stages of career development as well. So also that's really important because sometimes it can be quite difficult, can't it? If you, if you see an interview, but you think, gosh, that's several steps beyond where I might be. But if you've got the different angles towards that and someone who may be in that next step, I think that can be super helpful as well. So I think that visibility really, really matters. Mentorship and also sponsorship. You know, you were saying there about your keynote opportunity and being put forward for something like that, as well as putting yourself forward. Someone doing that on your behalf and saying, you know, you're an amazing fit for that. You would be so just that one conversation, like you mentioned about your one phone call earlier, that sure. could make the difference of empowering you to go for it um, and, and believing in you too. So I think that's hugely important so yes yeah, so i was getting very passionate about that but i think it's you know <laughs> when it comes to security it's not just the technology it's it's culture no. it's that shared responsibility it's processes in the right kind of change management approach but it's also investing in people their skills the access sure. to those skills but also the confidence to apply them at the end of the day as well that's hugely important too so yeah it really is a it's a holistic combination isn't it no no yes it is and i will i will just kind of reiterate a point that as you said earlier understanding different backgrounds is a benefit yes. um you know and some of the best ideas come from people who will look at things from a different perspective uh, we have a variety of different backgrounds on our team sometimes we bring in different specialists they may not be the specialists in that space but they see things from a different angle that i 
may not see or someone else on the team may not see. And, and that benefits us. That benefits us all. Uh, for me, you know, we we recently had a conversation for specifically for IoT devices in the medical space. And they have a big challenge with having tons of IoT devices in that space. And so one of the biggest things Microsoft is trying to do is understand what their challenges are and what they're facing. And so my background on, you know, working for a medical software company hasn't benefited me much, but being able to sit on that phone call and understand the terms, terminologies, and some of the things that were being said in the conversation really just give me the benefit of saying, hey, I thought that those two, three years that I was there were probably a waste of my time, but now somehow I'm in security, but understanding some of the medical aspects of things, how their modalities work and what what challenges they face uh, really kind of just gives me that leg up. So as you said, a variety of experiences, a variety of different areas, that that helps everyone in this space. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And again, like language and jargon in particular sectors, oh, yes. it can be one of those main reasons why you know you think something is being developed for all the right reasons to fit a certain purpose, but actually there's been a miscommunication about what you're building and why. And it sure. can be that you know, talking about the same thing in completely different language is a great example of that. I, I love that. Really, really good example indeed. Um, and I just think more broadly as well, is we're just bringing to the fore here all the different elements that help you do the very best you can do in terms of kind of future proofing and doing those foundations right around your security posture and keeping up with all these different changes, whether it's geopolitical or technical or you know, collaborations coming together, different sectors being targeted more than ever before, a bit like energy and utilities. All these different changes are happening. So what we can do is get kind of, I've got like a vision of a toolbox in my head at the moment. And whether that's the skills to be able to cope with this and be more agile to these types of changes, whether it's, you know, the right change management, like CICD, something like that, sure. that can be agile. All the other elements we've been talking about from the tech standpoint as well, the right tool to the right role, et cetera, getting that intelligence out there real time. So many elements to bring to bear. So that facilitation that's kind of rippled through our conversation today is really huge. That trusted partnership can, can be the difference maker i think yeah no, that's very true fantastic well i think so this is a conversation we can definitely come back to i think it's super exciting <laughs> sure. i think in this space more than any other we've seen the dynamism in terms of things and even in a couple of months time there'll be something that probably hasn't come up yet there will be wow where where did that come from so we'll see what happens there we can revisit some of these themes i hope later on in the year that would be a real pleasure um and it kind of brings me to say thank you jose thank you so much for joining us today Thank you all for watching and listening as well. And we've mentioned a lot of different kind of projects and resources here. And there might be even a few we've not had time to cover. So what we'll do in the show notes as well is signpost some great resources for, for your education or to share to someone you know and around some of the work that Microsoft's doing from the report perspective on the Defence Research Report, but also some of the technology standpoints as well, like Defender that we spoke about today. So there'll be lots of assets to come back to. And if you want to submit a follow-up question as well, we're always very happy to do that and pass that on and reply to you directly too. So thank you so much. And thank you, Jose. No, thank you, Sally. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening. <laughs>